Good morning, Midland Free. He is risen. Indeed. Amen. I think you guys felt that this morning. That's the sense I got. Welcome here. My name is Jeremy. If it's your first Sunday, uh, welcome here. We're really excited because we're Christians and we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Amen? Yeah. That's actually every Sunday, but this Sunday being Easter, we celebrate it in particular as an annual event so we don't forget. But if you're here for the first time, we've got a couple things for you. If you uh, saw our visitor center, it is to my left, which is your right. It's out there. Uh, Jane Kaiser, a really sweet lady, sitting back there. She's got a coffee cup for you, which has some uh, coupon for free coffee. Also has a Bible if you don't have one of these. Even if you're not a first-time visitor and you don't have a Bible, by all means, please go get a Bible. Uh, so we have some stuff, our goodies, if you will, but ultimately we're not here to give you stuff. We're here to give you Jesus. And so we, we just want to be welcoming and uh, warm, and we hope that that communicates. Let me continue to, to uh, engage your hearts in worship, and let's just pray, and then we'll uh, continue as we go. Father, we thank you and praise you because you're awesome. There's no reason we shouldn't. We thank you that um, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. We ask that as we talk today about what you've told us in First Peter, that you would impact our hearts and as a result change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This summer, one of the fun things we get to do is see some of our uh, missionaries come back and they're on what Christians sometimes call furlough or home ministry or whatever you want to call it. Basically, they're back for a little while to rest, reconnect, do different type of ministry, and then revamp and go back out. So one of the couples we had here this summer was Jared and Becca Ritma, and on their way back, I was following Jared's emails a little bit and listening to his travel adventures. You can imagine what it's like to travel all the way around the world and then add to that the complexity of bringing two little toddler boys with you. You know what I mean? A a 12-hour layover in an airport in a different country is enough to wear anyone out. Have a bouncing little toddler right next to you? That's basically torture. I mean, it was bringing back memories for me, actually, because several years ago, uh, when we were in northeast Missouri, the Lord called us to British Columbia, Canada, and that's certainly not all the way around the world. But believe it or not, it is a different country, and it does require a lot of effort to get there. So loading up our family and making this tremendous move, one of the things I began to appreciate is how much missionaries go through with paperwork and logistics and travel and organization. And then once you've got all that in order, the kids, right? Well, my, my little two-year-old at the, at the time, his name is Zion. He's a typical little boy, and boy, he was into trucks. I mean, if we walked through a parking lot, he, like, would stop if there was a truck, and we'd have to go over and touch the truck. You know, someone could walk up and, like, what are you doing? I don't know. We're just touching your truck. <laughs> we love trucks, so that's what we do. Well, at that time, one of the trucks he loved was a little matchbox Hummer. Ooh. This is not it, actually. This is a pink one that came along later. You might be able to see it here if they're zooming in on the cameras. I'm not sure. But he loved this little tiny Hummer. And everywhere we went, he had to have the Hummer in his hand. Wherever we went, there's a Hummer. 
And so I'm thinking about this trip, you know, and there's rental cars, and there's shuttles, and there's airports, and there's security, and there's customs, and then there's immigration, and there's all kinds of things. So I've got, I've got things in order pretty well, you know, I've got like our birth certificates, our passports, our immigration documents, the list of everything we own that's being brought in the truck. I've got this big stack of papers, I'm ready to go, but you know what I was most interested in? <laughs> That little Hummer, right? Whatever you do, don't lose the Hummer. I got the two-year-old with me, and we're going through customs, and I'm making sure, okay, we got the Hummer, right? Like, get that back in my pocket. We're on the airplane. I got the Hummer, right? We're waiting for the next plane. I got the Hummer, right? We're getting off the shuttle. Hummer, the Hummer, the Hummer. And then whenever I look over at him, I'm like, okay, buddy, how you doing? You got your Hummer? Okay, we're good. <laughs> as long as he's holding on to that little Hummer, everything's okay. But if that Hummer disappeared, we would have been in big, big trouble. Today I want to offer you something that I think many of you have, but I want to remind you, if nothing else, that there is something that you have that's even better than a Hummer. Something you can cling to, something that is solid, something that is secure, Something that will give you an abiding hope throughout the entire journey of your life. That's something today we're calling it living hope because that's what Peter calls it in 1 Peter chapter 1. And so what I'd like to do on this Resurrection Sunday then is just remind you of that and encourage you with it and then show you how it impacts your life. So you've seen banners out front that says living hope. You'll see slides that say living hope. But I want to walk you through that and basically go through. I'm actually going to do four questions. This slide has three. But I'm going to say this today. We're going to say, what is our hope? Like, what is it? Because it's not like solid, like a Hummer. Like, my son has a Hummer. Squeeze this and it'll be okay. You have hope. How do I squeeze that? What is it? So, what is our hope? Um, and then next, I'm going to say, when do we get it? When is actually, this one isn't on there. This is like point one, 1.5 or point 0.2. Uh, when? When is our hope realized? And number two, what does it look like right now? And then on this slide, number three, how do I experience it? So basically, what, when, what does it look like, and how do I experience it? Those four things from First Peter Chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 3 through 9. If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to turn there because we're going to just keep looking back at it, looking back at it, looking back at it. I'll read it for you and it's going to be up on the screen as well. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. It says this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, that is, in your living hope, you rejoice Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that 
The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So many wonderful and beautiful promises in here, but let's begin today by focusing on this, our living hope. What is our hope? Essentially, as as, as I tried to point out as we read through there, your hope, according to Peter, according to the apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is your inheritance. This thing that you're looking forward to that you haven't received yet, that's your hope. It's not necessarily something, okay, so it's, it's sort of a both and. It's something you have now, but ultimately it's something you will get. Your hope is your inheritance, verse 4. So let me read uh, verses 4 through 5 again. And I want to point that out so you can see it really clearly. Uh, The living hope in verse 3 points to verse 4, which says, What are you being born again to? To an inheritance. Then it describes it. It says this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven. So in other words, your hope is your inheritance. Now, when I say that, it's still, I imagine, a little bit like, okay, so an inheritance, right? Like, I know what that is with my mom or dad or whoever, if I have one or if I don't. It's something that I get when someone else leaves and is passed along to me. The thing about it is, though, when we're talking about spirituality, it's not as tangible as money for us yet. So what then is it? 1 Peter 1.9, the very last verse in this section, tells you specifically what your inheritance is. If you're wondering, what is my Christian inheritance? What is it that I get? What is it that I will receive? Verse 9 explains that. This is what you get at the last days, at the end times. You obtain the outcome of your faith. This is the outcome. If we're outcome-oriented, if we're desired to get to the end point. This is what it is, the salvation of your souls. Now, when you read that, you may think if you're like probably a lot of us, you're just like, okay, salvation, my soul. So what, you know, it's kind of nice, but right now I'm not so sure. Well, let's go a little bit further. Let's lean in and say, what is the salvation of our souls? Well, we know as Christians, if you are one already, salvation often is associated with with the forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, cool, forgiveness. But if you're like me, I don't want just forgiveness. That's not enough for me. I mean, it's really cool, but if I'm only forgiven, then I'm not fixed. I'm still broken. And what I want is not only the forgiveness of sins, but I want to be fixed so that I never, ever, ever sin again. I don't want to just experience the effect of sin and somebody say, sorry, okay, all right, whatever. No, no, I want it cleaned away forever to such an extent that even the scars and marks and 
effects that have occurred in me are completely removed. I want to be made whole. And as you read through the rest of Scripture, what you realize is that is, in fact, what Scripture refers to when it talks about salvation. That it's not just the initial experience you have as a Christian when you come to Jesus and are forgiven, but it is the whole complete process, not only of forgiveness of sins, but also growing to become more like Christ and ultimately being as perfect, if you will, as he is. You are going to be resurrected just like Jesus, just like that last song we sang. The resurrected Lord is resurrecting me. That's the process of salvation. God is bringing you back from the dead to life. So when, for example, the New Testament talks about eternal life, it is something that we experience, yes, in the future, but it's also something we begin to experience now. So salvation is forgiveness of sins. It is eternal life. It is eventually, Revelation tells us, the complete removal of all pain. You no longer struggle with whatever pain you have. Whether it is physical pain, whether it is relational pain, whether it's emotional pain, whatever pain you have in your life, it will be removed when you are completely and fully saved. Right now, we're not there. We all will experience more pain, perhaps even today, in our lives. But at some point, Revelation 21 tells us pain is gone. Then, Romans 8 tells us not only is pain gone, but we get brand new resurrected bodies. So not only is the pain removed, but we're given perfect bodies that never will experience pain again. Everything is made new. Revelation 21, not only is there new bodies, but there's a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new heavens and new earth, Jesus Christ reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords for ever and ever with no more questions about anything whatsoever. It's perfect. Eternal bliss, eternal shalom forever and ever. Now, if that weren't enough, there's still something more. And that is this. We got everything we want. Forgiven, fixed, eternal life, pain-free, perfect society. Everything is good. But in addition to that, God gives us the very best thing he could He gives us himself. Ultimately, our inheritance is him. It is Jesus. John Piper is kind of famous for saying, hey, could you go to heaven and be happy if Jesus wasn't there? Even if you had all these other things, like you had the perfect life, the perfect body, the perfect city, the perfect government, the perfect everything, could you be happy? And the answer should be no, because ultimately what you're after is him. All of these things, and then some, fixed forever, happily ever after, never to be broken again. What is our hope? Our hope is our inheritance. Our inheritance is the outcome of our salvation, absolute perfection, and the possession of Jesus Christ himself. That's good stuff, right? Amen? I'm interested. So that's our hope. Well, when do I get it? Because I want it, <laughs> like now. So when? When is it coming? Well, actually, this passage answers that question for us as well. In verse 5, it tells us specifically that this crown or salvation, this thing that is coming to us, 
is ready to be revealed in the last time. Then in chapter 5, a little bit later in verse 4, he tells us specifically, when the chief shepherd appears, then you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In other words, when is your hope realized? When does this all come to fruition? The answer is when Jesus returns. When Jesus himself, the physical, resurrected, living Lord, comes back to this very planet, when he descends bodily and comes here, that's when we get new bodies and a new kingdom and a new heaven and a new earth and everything is fixed. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. This one's kind of cool. I put it up there so you can see it. Just so you know, I'm not blowing smoke. Here's the when and the what. This is both when it happens and what will happen. Verse 20 is the when. Talks about our citizenship, where we belong, is in heaven. And from it, we await the Savior. This is what we're hoping for. The Lord Jesus Christ. And what does he do when he gets here? He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That's awesome. He's fixing me by the same power that enables him to subject everything, the whole world, to himself. He fixes me and he fixes everything else when he comes back. That's what I'm interested in. And so as a result, what's going on? I am right now waiting, Titus tells me, For the blessed hope, this is our hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, summarizing or recapping those first two points. What is our hope? Our hope is our inheritance. What is our inheritance? The outcome of our salvation, the result of this whole process. When do I get it? At the return of Christ. So then... That's future-oriented, right? Like, that's what's coming. But what about now? Like, right now? Like, what does that look like now? Because I'm still traveling. I'm still the pilgrim. I'm still here. I still have pain. I still struggle with sin. I'm not fixed. I am broken. And nothing seems to change. What? Well, verse 8. Verse 8. What does it look like now? Even though you haven't seen him, this is verse 8 of 1 Peter 3 9. It says this Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see now uh, see him, you believe in him and would rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This is what that hope does for you. When you really believe that, when you believe that you are on the winning team, that the game is over, that the championship is secure, that it's all yours, guaranteed. When you believe that, all of a sudden your perspective changes. You are filled with a hope and not just a hope against hope, not just a, oh man, I hope it doesn't rain or I hope it doesn't snow or boy, I hope, but a guaranteed living, dynamic active, energizing force within you that you feel to the depth of your very soul. And that hope is alive. That is why it's a living hope. It's not just a dead hope that's, you know, lethargic and sitting there, but it is 
real. If we were talking about a hope of my physical inheritance, let's say it's money. Let's say I'm going to get money from my parents. Would that be helpful? Absolutely. All kinds of things I could do. But at some point, if there is gold or silver sitting on my dresser drawers, they will rust, decay, rot, go away. They are perishable. That is not a living hope. That is a dead hope. That is a hope that will last me for a little while. Could I use it? Sure. Would I spend it? Absolutely. And then it's gone. And I can never get it back. It would perish. But this is something that is imperishable and won't go away. It lasts forever and ever. This is better. Are you experiencing this? Do you have this in your life? Where is your hope? What is it? What are you looking forward to? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What motivates you? What would really change your life? Is it an inheritance from mom and dad? Or is it something that will never go away? I want you to have real hope. Living hope. Well, how then, pastor, do I experience it? My answer to you is very similar to my answer to Zion, my son. Is man, you got to hold on to it. Cling to it. Cling to the promise. Now, I know hope is not like a Hummer. It's not something you can just squeeze in your hand. So how then can I hold on to my hope? Well, here's the thing. This is what anchors our hope. This is what actually makes it a Easter sermon. You may be wondering, wait a minute, we're not at the tomb. Where is Jesus? What's going on here? Here's the thing. Verse 3 says this. We're going to read it again. This is the very first verse. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Awesome. Bless God. Why? According to His great mercy, He has caused us, it's He who did it, to be born again to a living hope. How? What is the guarantee? What is the transaction that sealed the deal? This is it. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, because of the completed, historical, unchangeable, eternal fact that Jesus the person, the carpenter from Nazareth, died and rose again on the third day, because of that fact, it is a guarantee That my hope is not some wishy-washy, ethereal nothingness, but a solid thing that will be realized in the last days. My hope, a living hope, a real hope, is anchored in the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, then you can write this down and read it later, basically goes on to tell us just what we sang. Just like Jesus rose from the grave, so too will we raise, be raised from the grave as well. So in other words, what the Bible calls it is something called first fruits. If you're a scientist, this is basically like a prototype or a model. Jesus, when he was resurrected, is the example of what will happen to all of those who follow and are united to him. Just like he died and was given a new body, or a resurrected body, so too will we die and be given resurrected bodies. Just like Jesus, so too with us. So because of the fact that he arose, 
And because of the fact that I am one with or united to him, he is risen, I will arise. If he was dead, I would stay dead. But because he is alive, he is not going to let me stay dead because I am united to him. That wouldn't work. Otherwise, he'd have to go die again. And he's not going to do that. He's up. He's living. He's alive. And therefore, I will be too, even after I die. That's an encouragement. And let me give you one more. I want to just pour on the encouragement here. Here's a little bit more. And this is the one that blew me away as I went through this. Verse 4. So you've been given this living hope through the resurrection, that's verse 3, to an inheritance, that's what it is, that's imperishable, unfading, undefiled, and what is that word? Kept. 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 Who is doing the keeping here? Here's a hint, it's not me. (laughs) It's not you. And that's the victory. Look, when we're going through the airport, if I left it to Zion to hold on to that Hummer, how far do you think we'd get? It's going back to the hotel on the first shuttle, you know? But I'm keeping that for him. It's in my pocket. I'm holding on to it. And everywhere we're going, I'm like, okay, we just made a transition. Where's the Hummer? Got it. I'm holding it. Then when we're in a secure spot, I give it back to him and say, okay, you play with this. Now we're about to get up and go to the bathroom. Hand me the Hummer. Got it. And it's always going into this pocket. Goes in another pocket, I'm going to lose it. I'm holding it right here. I am not going to lose this thing. I am keeping it for you. I'm not giving you a chance to lose it. (laughs) This is something I want for us. And so I'm going to maintain it. And everywhere we go, I'm going to make sure I know where it is and it's not going to disappear. So too with you. When you talk about your salvation, man, you're traveling through life and there's bumps in the road. There's ups and downs. There's long waits. There's miserable flights. There's sicknesses. There's illnesses. There's unpredictability. There's change. There's obstacles. There's all kinds of things you're going to be facing. But through all of those, God is keeping your inheritance for you. You can't lose it. It's not yours to lose. He's holding on to it, and he's going to give it to you. And just like a real-life inheritance, it's insured by the death. But the difference is, following the death, it's not just over, but it's alive because of the resurrection. This is a living hope, a living inheritance, kept for you by God forever in eternity. And you get it when Jesus comes back. That's why you pray, even so, come Lord Jesus. (laughs) Don't you want that? Don't you want your inheritance? Come, bring it. I'm ready. (laughs) Well, I think I am. You may not think I am. It might be a little bit longer, but you will give it to me at the right time. I'm not going to give this to Zion at the wrong time, right? If I give it to him at the wrong time, what happens? It's gone. I hold it, and I maintain it until the right time. And when it's the right time, then I give it to him. And he may think it's forever, right? No, no, hang on. I got this. You'll get it at the right time. It's okay. I'm going to get you through. I mean, Dad, I love you. What else would I do? Right? So, your inheritance, what is it? Or your hope, what is it? It's your inheritance. When do you get it? When Jesus comes back. How do you hold on to it? You cling to it. And really, the interesting thing is what you find out when you read Scripture, it's very much like being a child 
That's why Jesus says, you know, <laughs> faith of a child. How, do you, how does Zion cling to these promises? Well, what I want him to do is we're going through the airport. I want him to do two things, basically. I want him to trust me, and I want him to obey me. That's it. Listen to me, man. I'm going to get you there. Don't worry about it. Just hang tight. I'm going to get you there. It's going to be okay. Believe me. I will. Just hang tight. Don't keep questioning. Don't keep getting upset. I'll get you there. Trust me. Number two, obey me. So if I say, hey, we're going this way now. We need to do this in order to make the flight. I want you to come along. So the two things I want my child to do when I'm making this trip is to trust and obey. That's how he's going to cling to the promises. And I'm going to say to you, church, same thing this morning. You want to experience hope? It's not enough to leave it sitting there in the ground. You have to pick it up and believe it and trust it and obey it. Do what he asks. Obedience is not drudgery. It's a blessing. It's a wonderful thing to experience. I think a lot of times in our Christian faith, we think, oh man, we're just like little kids, right? Come on, do this. I don't want to no really come on if you do i promise it'll be great you will receive so much satisfaction by doing this work and getting this reward that you'll be way better than before i'm sorry we're going to have to go through all this resistance to get you there but when you believe me that what i'm saying is true and when you trust that i will reward you and you trust that i will give you little blessings along the way, give me the opportunity to do that, at the end of the day, you're going to be so much better than if you hadn't. We go on that trip, I might just buy you ice cream. If there's a layover and there's time, I will. But if you keep nagging me the rest of the way and don't leave me alone, your ice cream's going to go out the door. (laughs) Trust me. Hang tight. And obey me and ask me. And then I will bless you at the right time. So too with the Christian faith. Guys, you want to experience hope, you've got to do what this Bible says. Let me give you a couple examples. I'm just going to be really specific. It may not directly apply to you. If it doesn't, pick something that does. But here's a couple examples. You want to experience hope? One is sing. Just sing. All these songs contain promises that have been extrapolated from Scripture and are given by God to you. Rehearse them. Say, Dad, you said, you said this. This is so great. I'm so excited. The other night, Robin was practicing for this thing this morning, and so that means I'm on dad duty, and I finally got the kids to bed, and I can't do it like she does. She does everything like all at once, and everything's neat and tidy. I'm tripping over my own socks and just trying to survive. But at the end of the night, I've got the kids in bed. Nobody's crying, screaming, or fighting. I'm feeling like, all right, we made progress, and there's this huge mess of dishes. I'm like, oh, man, great. I'm tired. I don't want But I got an idea. I went and got my headphones, and I turned on my favorite worship playlist, and I was jamming while I was scrubbing. <laughs> I mean, I was going to town. It was great. I'm listening to Jesus jams, and I'm wiggling all over the place. I'm being encouraged spiritually, and depending on my degree of wiggle, I'm getting a little bit of a workout. My wife's going to come home and find the dishes done and everything's going to be set for tomorrow morning. It's a win-win. Look, I understand that you've got to work every single day and I understand there's a lot of things going on. So you may not be a hermit or a hobbit or whatever and be able to take a five-hour quiet time on the mountain, but you can take 20 minutes while doing the dishes and listen to some music and worship your heart out as hard as you can. 
Find something. Just do it. Look for that promise. Reach out, grab it, and cling to it. If it's in the car on the way to work, if it's on your commute, if it's in the airport, wherever, grab some of Jesus and say, this is mine. I don't have it all now, but I want what I can get, and so now I'm going to take some. (laughs) It's alive. It's not dead. It's real, and it's for you. Get it. Go after it. There's one example. Another one that my wife has done for me is sometimes like, text me something like a verse you know there's the normal text you get what time are you picking them up and da 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 you know we have to do that but there's another text like hey i read this verse and i thought of you you know boom there it is send it hit send pick a verse hit send another one if you're not into the texting thing try the post-it notes right they stick to anything at least that's what march madness commercials tell me stick it Man, put a verse on it. It doesn't have to be there forever. But put that verse on your mirror, on your window, on, well, not on your speedometer, maybe on your tachometer. But put it somewhere where you'll see it. Post it. Text it. Sing it. Do whatever you got to do, but claim it. Go after that inheritance. Get Jesus. He's yours. You don't see him, but you believe in him. You don't hear him, but you love him. And you know he's coming back, so grab it. It's yours. This is a long ride. It's difficult. We're going through the airport. I don't like it. But as we go, know that our inheritance is being kept for us. That He's holding on to it. And that can provide the energy and hope and motivation that you need when all of a sudden you're feeling car sick and you don't want to keep going. Grab it. Man, cling to the promises. Obey. Look, there's a few other ways you can obey. Obey by sharing your faith with others. Encourage someone else. You don't feel encouraged? Encourage somebody else. You don't think they have hope? Tell them about yours. You want to experience a, sort of a, a, a climactic effect? Be around a group of Christians. Whether it's a small group, a small church, a ministry team, whatever. Here's what happens. Like on opening day of deer season. I know some Michigan folks know what that is. November, opening day, deer season. You know what one of the funnest things is? It's not sitting out there by yourself in the field just looking at the trees. It's the night before when you're with all your buddies and you're gathered around and you've spread your gear out and you're sort of building off each other and you're like, oh, man, this is so cool. Look at this. Oh, let me see your knife. Oh, let me see mine's bigger. Okay. <laughs> you know? And you're going through and you're excited. Why? Because you're sort of building and feeding off of each other. That's the thing about church. You know, you're not supposed to just come sit down and go away. You're supposed to build and feed and get excited about others. Hey, let me see my inheritance. Oh, no way. I got an inheritance too. You do? Yeah. Mine's imperishable, unfading, kept for me forever. Mine too. What do you know? This is great. And you build and you feed and you get excited. Man, be a part of something. Obey. Cling to it. Grab those promises. There's so many ways you can do it. You can think of more. Those are what I have. But here's the thing I kind of want to leave you with. It's interesting. There's this old hymn called Trust and Obey. And, uh, you know, you, you hear the title, and if you don't know the hymn, you think, okay, drudgery. You know, here comes obedience. I'm going to do my chores and get my homework done and turn in for the night and get up the next day and do it again. Blah. But as you read it, what you find is this is one of the most joyful songs you've ever heard. There's no drudgery in it. There's no misery. 
It's all pleasure. And that's what happens when you have the living hope. When you walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on your way. While you do His good will, He abides with you still and with all who trust and obey. For trusting and obeying, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And it's almost radical because we know that there's the valley of the shadow of death, and yet even walking through it, this author says, not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sigh nor a tear can abide while we trust and obey. And it goes on and on and on. It's almost just this crazy bliss. It just says, hey, when you do this, that living hope takes control. You're walking through the valley and yet you're smiling. Why? Because you believe. You believe the promises of God. You trust and you obey. I think you've got the point, and I hope you remember the little Hummer, but ultimately, more than the Hummer, I want you to remember your hope. When I'm traveling with my kids, whether it's spring break or summer to see grandma and grandpa or even international or whatever, I want them to know, I'm going to get you guys through. I'm going to get you through the airport, but ultimately, the reward is on the other side. (laughs) It's not here, it's there. So hang with me, trust me, Believe me, obey me, and we'll get there. I have this for you. I'm keeping it, and I will give it to you. So too with you, church. Remember, God has this. He's got this. It's kept. It's a completed past tense fact. So too with glorified in Romans 8. It is accomplished already. God's got it. So then, trust him. Believe him. Obey. He'll give you all kinds of little perks along the way. You don't have to worry about that. But ultimately, he'll get you to the other side. We have this hope because our Father has secured an inheritance for us. Jesus, through the power of the resurrection, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and would Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Ultimately, obtaining the outcome of your salvation, the sal- of your faith, the salvation of your f- souls. I'll look at you this week. I'm not going to say, hey, you got your Hummer? You got it, buddy? Is it there? I'm going to say, hey, you got your hope? You got it? Is it there? If it is... We're good. Nothing else matters. Trust and obey. Father, we thank you and praise you. We thank you for Jesus, our hope, our living hope, the eternal salvation we have in him that will never fade or perish nor can ever be taken away. We thank you for the resurrection which guarantees that eternal fact. God, I pray that you'd forgive me for, our, for my sins, forgive us for our sins, forgive us for doubting you, forgive us for whining, Forgive us for complaining. God, we ask that today, as a result of the resurrection and the worship of our Lord, you would renew our hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.